On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to the mafia, if someone disrespects you, you take action. When it comes to mafia movies, if the critics disrespect it, we take action. And when it comes to mobsters, that disrespect ain't personal, it's business. And we're about to give you a counter review you can't refuse. Because we're here to prove to you that this 1991 mob boss movie is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades in B, movies. And you know what's funny? Every now and then we'll take a look at a movie and go, okay, well, that seems like it's pretty cool and good cast and storyline seems different. And then you take a look at how the critics rated it and you sit there and go, that's unjust. That must go defended. And we're here to talk about exactly one of those kind of movies, 1991's Mobsters. And (laughs) joining me for the show is the sexiest hit woman of all time. My wife, Carrie. Carrie, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, although I had to look around the room and and think that maybe Angelina Jolie was in the house or... uh, I'm just trying to think now. Julia Roberts? Quite possibly, yes. Um, uh, No, they're not here. (laughs) (laughs) They're not here. Don't look at the closet. Um, Okay, so full disclaimer here, because my wife, I think, was a little bit more excited to talk about this movie than I am, because not only is she a fan of, you know, mob mafia type movies, she also might have a little thing for Christian Slater. So when you realize I'm calling you you out. Oh, you just shared my deepest, darkest secrets. Well, I'll tell you what. When we get to do a Rachel Lee Cook movie, then you can call me out, okay? (laughs) But, But in all fairness, though, when you realize that this movie, which we personally have on VHS in our home collection here. Uh, By the way, a VHS is a video cassette for those of you who have never heard of the damn clunky things. Um, When you realize that this movie actually qualifies, and not just qualifies, but qualifies in a big, big, big way. um, What was your first reaction? I am just heartbroken that this is even a contender. I have so much to say, so let's get this started. All right. Before we do get this started, though, um, I'm first of all, I need to apologize uh, for for listeners or regular listeners to the show. If my voice seems a little off, don't worry. I'm not sick. He was just fighting for his right to party. <laughs> okay, full disclaimer here. I, I am in a band, just a cover band, nothing not, nothing special, nothing. But. Oh, you guys are special. Oh, we are special. <laughs> At least, <laughs> maybe, not, maybe, not, maybe not the way you think of here, but we played our first double header uh, since basically the start of 2020. Uh, so my voice is a little bit on the gone side, but I was still stoked to record the podcast here. So I'm going to do my best to take this 1991 movie and trailerize it. They were mob bosses of their day. 
Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Frank Costello, and Bugsy Siegel. So who better to play the lords of the concrete jungle than a bunch of guys who graced the pages of Tiger Beat? Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, and Richard Greco star in Mobsters, a movie about bad people doing bad things. But it's not that bad because they like each other, so that makes it okay. Watch as Christian Slater's motivation for the whole movie seems to come from the humiliation of his father, the veritable nut crunch of destiny. Lucky and the boys look to put the squeeze on everyone in this loose retelling of the mob days of New York City. Mobsters, also known as the other, other movie about Bugsy Siegel released in 91, rated R. The nut crunch of <laughs> destiny. Oh, well, now that being said, if Jack Black comes out with Tenacious D and the nut crunch of destiny, I would pay. Just take my money. Take my <laughs> money. I would go see that film. Okay, so 1991's Mobster starred Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Costas Mandalore. Uh, I know this isn't Star Wars. Apparently, his last name is actually Mandalore. Uh, Richard Greco. Anthony Quinn, Lara Flynn Boyle, Michael Gambone, Chris Penn, and the voice of Conshu himself, F. Murray Abraham. However, there is an almost start on this one. Because almost starring as Charles Lucky Luciano was Johnny Depp. Ooh. And this actually would have repaired him. Uh, with Richard Greco back from their 21 Jump Street days. I just wonder, though, if if you had Depp and Greco in a mobster movie, would people just be calling it 1921 Jump Street? You know what? Um, I, no disrespect to Johnny Depp. I think he would have been great, but not as Lucky Luciano. I, I, I need Christian Slater to be in this movie. However, I think he he could have quite easily been one of the four. He could have. I could actually have seen him act in the role uh, that Richard Greco played, uh, Bugsy Siegel, because you know it's kind of like the same performance. But I I don't know. I really don't know if Johnny Depp would have been well or been as good as Lucky Luciano as Christian Slater. No, but maybe if he had played Frank Costello. Uh, you know what's funny, and uh, you know, as as you mentioned that, and I'm, we're going to talk about that a little bit in the breakdown there. I, I think that would have been a good thing for Frank Costello, but I don't know if it would have been so much as good for the movie because really the focus of the movie seemed to be more on Luciano and uh, Meyer Lansky, uh, and the other two were kind of in the background more so. But putting a, you know someone of Johnny Depp's star at that time might have taken away from. Uh, from what Christian Slater and Patrick Dempsey were bringing to it. I think it would have been fascinating. Um, it, I mean, it definitely, I think it would have added that star power, but the movie was already so stacked and the, with the, talent. The funny thing is though, it's stacked, I think, more in hindsight 
when you take a look at that cast. But then, but then, of course, let's be honest, like Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, like say what you will, right? You know, joke about the Tiger Beat kind of thing, but they were the hottest thing at that time. And let, let's put this into perspective here, okay? Christian Slater was in this movie in 1991. This was one year after both Pump Up the Volume and Young Guns 2. It's the same year that Robin Hood Prince of Thieves uh, Prince of Thieves came out and it was a year before Cuffs and I think it was only about like 3 years after Heathers. Like this is peak Christian Slater time. I don't even know Johnny Depp is as big as Christian Slater in 1991. Mm, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um I mean yeah, it it would have definitely been interesting to see i actually would have loved to have seen johnny depp on the other side of the law as mad dog that would have been very very interesting Ooh, that would have been good i could i could see that i could very very easily see that uh the movie was directed by michael karbelnikov and i do hope i am pronouncing these these names right um Michael Karbelnikov. This was his cinematic directorial debut. Uh, And since that time, he has only directed one other uh, full-length movie. That was FTW, which was written by and starred Mickey Rourke. So when you realize that this movie is actually like it's it's a a directorial feature film debut, it's, it's almost a bit more. It's kind of cool when you realize that, because really I thought it was actually fairly well directed, Uh, although I do have some quibbles about it, but that's just me. As far as the accolades go, the quote unquote accolades, this movie racks them up because both Christian Slater and Anthony Quinn were nominated for Worst Supporting Actor at at the Razzies that year. Both of them lost to Dan Aykroyd in the movie Nothing uh, Nothing But Trouble. But the fact that it, this one fascinates me. Like Anthony Quinn as, as worst supporting actor, okay, sure, I get that. But arguably, Christian Slater is the star of this film and he's nominated in worst supporting actor. Is that is that a weird look at it or is this a testament to uh, the ensembleness of the way this cast is supposed to be? I think Slater gave an absolutely brilliant performance. So I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how he could have been so grilled for this. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that's the funny thing, though. He was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor, which is interesting. Let's be honest. Christian Slater is the central star of this film. I think we can agree on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it, I mean, if he's going to be nominated for something, it should be nominated, you know, for worst actor, lead. period, yeah. but not worst supporting actor. And I, and I think that's it's an interesting take on that because if Christian Slater is looked at as a supporting actor in this, that screams ensemble cast. And that's actually a good thing when you think about the grandioseness of the storyline involved. It's almost like the weird backhand compliment when you take a look at that. Downside, this is a money loser. According to IMDB.com, this film had a budget of $23 million. In the box office, it only made, again, according to IMDB, worldwide gross 
two million. So as far as your box office goes, it lost $3 million. Uh, it was the only debuting movie on the July 26th, 1991 weekend and debuted at number two. The number one film that, that week was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And let's be honest, um, I know I personally saw Terminator 2 in theaters at least twice. It was the movie of 1991. Um, but just to put it into perspective here, uh, Christian Slater in the box office that weekend, Mobsters, number two, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, in its seventh week was still sitting at number six. So, I mean, it's it's up there, and it made six million in that opening weekend, and that's six million, 1991 dollars. So that's actually not too, too bad. I mean, to think that it was going to leapfrog Terminator 2, I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough call for what is arguably a smaller, you know, gangster film. The critics, however, were not kind to this because over on Rotten Tomatoes, this film sits at a 57% audience score. So not bad audience score, all things considered. The critic score, a measly, minuscule, paltry 6%. That seems overly harsh. Since we're talking about critics here, I I just have to read this one by Peter Rayner of LA Times, Los Angeles Times. Um, now, this was back from 2013, but the quote was, Mobsters looks like it was made by people who have seen too many gangster films for people who haven't seen any. There isn't a breath of life in the filmmaking. Now, Harsh. that is harsh that is absolutely like and to add to it I thought you know what I'm gonna delve into and see what the godfather was rated okay it was high up in the 90s like Mm -hmm. depending on if you're looking at one two or three three being the lowest rated and that was more I think of actors debut Mm -hmm. and performance well, keep, keep in mind, too, Based, so. God, Godfather carried with it a lot of the weight of the Mario Puzo book that came before it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Godfather was was very, very, very highly anticipated uh, to the point even where, and I have to, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what streaming service has it, but they basically made, like, uh, not necessarily a docudrama, but a dramatization of what it took to make the Godfather. Like there's, there's a lot, there's a big story there. Um, Godfather is bigger than life. Um, when it comes to mafia movies, this is arguably on a much smaller scale. Interesting that you say that because I did find, um, a critics, uh, review that was, it looked recent. It was actually from February of 22. Um, by Richard Roper, Chicago Times, um, Chicago Sun Times, sorry, my apologies. The Godfather is the most memorable, most influential, most quoted, most beloved, most discussed, most imitated, most revered, and most entertaining American movie ever made. So, 
Um, that's, with, that's that's a big that's, that's a big statement on a, that one. It's a big statement, and the the parallel I'm trying to draw. Did I he, also wanted did he to, kiss the ring when he wrote that? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious now. <laughs> he did not want to wake up with the horsey head. Like that that is I was supposed to say that's almost like you know someone got a hold of the of the review that was originally written by the previous critic, uh, and then something bad happened to them. And the new critic <laughs> uh, is all of a sudden like, the Godfather is the greatest film ever. Please don't hurt me. Exactly. <laughs> right? Um, it's it's interesting to note that Mobsters, I think, was critically panned because it was so compared to movies I, that came before it. I can I. see e. that. The Godfather. Another sticky point with a lot of the critics... Uh, or a lot of the criticism of mobsters was the level of violence. Okay. Really? So, yeah, right? And I found that personally, I found that they handled any violent scenes by a montage. Like, did and they see Godfather 1 and 2? Like, it, for reals? Exactly. And, and I mean, you have to realize that this is a tale about mob life. So, any exuberant violence um yeah that's probably pretty legit and pretty on the level i hope hope they don't watch gangs in new york holy shit now (laughs) now where i am going with this is i also thought you know what i'm gonna look up a more fun light-hearted look at mafia life and i checked out dick tracy which came out the year before this right which um was quite high in the ratings. I can't remember exactly the Rotten Tomato score. It was in the 80s, I believe. I, I, I get like that. Like 84, I think. Um, I'll have to fact check that. But um, one of the, the critics' reviews for that was, for all its violence, it remains jolly. Its boisterous moral tone softened here and there by moments of cost, uh, cautious sentimentality. Sentiment. Sentimentality. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Sentimentality. English good. <laughs> I, I think I need to pour myself another cider. Right. Um, <laughs> well, here's here's the thing that with Dick Tracy, right? I mean, you can call it a mobster film as much as you want, but I mean, in you know, in the grand scheme of things, Dick Tracy is a comic book movie because, of course, it came from the Dick Tracy comic book scripts, and it you know. Dick Tracy is a marvel of 90s comic book movies because it really was a uh, almost faithful comic book adaptation to, you know, that that old newspaper strip and when people saw it it was like, yeah, this is perfect for what, for what it's covering. Same thing with The Godfather, right? People like when people read that book and then they saw the movie they're like, yeah, they got it. They really got it. Um but I think there's also, and and I'm not saying that I know what was in the critics' heads when they, when they rated this so freaking low, but I have a feeling there might have been a little bit of mafia fatigue because also released in 1991, all right, you had the movie Bugsy, which of course was also about Bugsy Siegel, played by Richard Greco in this. Did that not come out after Mobsters? 1991. This is the same release year. Also in that year, a much totally different film, The Marrying Man, 
also had Bugsy Siegel as a character. Also released in 1991 was Billy Bathgate, which had Lucky Luciano as a character in the film. Like when you the Hollywood had a hard on for mobster movies in 1991 and I could see a little bit of that kind of fatigue. It's kind of like the the year when Armageddon came out, which happened to be like 2 months after Deep Impact came out. It's like, "Oh good, yet another asteroid is coming to destroy us." It's just one of those things where Hollywood kind of gets in waves where like you know, one year will be like the year of the giant comet that comes attacks us. And then another year will be like, oh, we got lots of robots this year kind of thing. This was the year where the gangster made a comeback kind of thing. And, you know, in the grand scheme, like, let's be honest, Bugsy is a huge, huge film. Mobsters is not. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to diss on mobsters, but it's not Oscar level Bugsy. So, I mean, the fact that it came out in the same year, it's like, it, it almost feels like the ugly stepchild of that. That would be like if you took this movie and put it out the same year as Godfather Part Two, right? Godfather Part Two being like one of those rare occasions where the sequel is better than the original. It it would it would pale in comparison. And I think that might be a little bit of it in that it pales in comparison to Bugsy. But 6%, that bull****, that straight up bull****. It, it was incredibly unfair. And I think, like, I, I still fail to see any flaw in the performance of any one of the actors. Like, mm. everything from even down to the, you know, uh, like the performance of the, of the, the, the dancers in, um, you know, their, their restaurant scenes mm-hmm. or whatever. Like it was just so incredible. The costuming, the music, the, there were, there's a singer that is just so incredibly brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of the actors, they played it so incredibly well like i it was it was fun to watch yeah right it wasn't like one of those really um dark and disturbing like whoa did this actually happen in history did, mm-hmm. you know w- was mafia life really this gritty and you know you know what let's hard to see let's start the breakdown right there as far as storyline goes because as I was doing my research and all that for the breakdown and stuff like that, and, you know, I'm seeing all these connections and all that and just, you know, stories of Lucky Luciano and Meyer Lansky and all that. And you realize, I mean, yeah, they'll come out and say that this movie, you know, is loosely based on real events. You know, we know that these are real mobsters kind of thing. And a lot of a lot of the, the beats in this film were taken from actual real life events and you realize that, wow, the fact that a lot of this is actually pretty close to what happened, even though some of it may be glossed over and some of it might be a tad bit altered for dramatic uh, storytelling uh, effect. But there, there's a lot of, like, when you realize that this actually happened, it's, it, it adds a, a much deeper layer into this. 
Like, and like, I, I full disclaimer, we weren't born in 1921. So we don't know what life was like back then, back in New York. But, you know, like it, it felt real when you realize that a lot of this is based on reality. But let's start at the top of the bill, though, with Christian Slater, Charlie Lucky Luciano. And as much as you say that you thought he was great in this, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here in that. Just let me let's let me go through the list of like the, the with that list again of movies that came out around this time. Pump up the volume. Young Guns 2. Robin Hood. Cuffs. And if you go back and watch it, his performance in a lot of these films, it's almost like he Gary Sinise his way through like 1988 to like 1992 in that it's a Christian Slater performance in a historical feature. Did that feel like, because you're the Christian Slater fan here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if you had pictures of him up on your wall when you were, when you, when you were a wee girl. Oh, it was all about the eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> but how did this role stand out from those other films for you? I can agree um, that, yes, I mean, it definitely was Christian Slater as Lucky Luciano. Like, um, I have no doubt, I have never um, researched or really known a lot about Lucky Luciano uh, and his history and and his um, personality. Um, so I can only imagine that this is, you know, quite honestly, Christian Slater playing this character mm-hmm. um, in his own style. Um, and I can imagine that Lucky Luciano would be quite different mm-hmm. from uh, Christian Slater's portrayal of him. Um, however, <laughs> uh, you know what? I found he was he was enjoyable to watch the narrative of how this tale um, was presented. Like, I, I absolutely loved that it filled in a lot of the back story or a lot of the information that perhaps they didn't the want nut to in- crunch of destiny <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't want to invest the time in making it you know any longer of a movie so mm-hmm. the narrative kind of you know did exactly what it was intended to do um you know tied the story together helped it move along faster um i don't, I don't know i don't I don't see anything flawed in his performance. It was very much, as you say, a Christian Slater playing Christian Slater playing Lucky Luciano. Um, But it was still quite enjoyable. And I think he had the charm and the charisma um, to make it believable that he could indeed become a mob boss Mm -hmm. um, to come up from nothing you know, to witness um, the nut crunch of death. <laughs> the nut crunch of destiny. Destiny, yeah, sorry. Um, you know what? His motives were very clear and, you know, um, made made aware 
very early in the movie, mm-hmm. you know. So I think uh, as far as storyline, it went along very quickly and very rapidly. And what I really liked about it is how they kind of not fast forwarded the details, but they kind of give you little synopsis of his progression mm-hmm. um, and his rise to the top of, of uh, I, I guess, the power line or yeah. like like the the quest to become like the 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 boss of all bosses kind right. of thing but I, and this is going to seem unfair to christian slater because i honestly thought he was actually quite good in it um i, I think christian slater is a phenomenal actor um but this is around his tiger beat time and that's not on him that's just his popularity his look that like that the age that he was at at that time like i i went through a list of of other actors who have played lucky luciano because this is a little bit of a this is a hard one right because when you are playing a real life person you have an image in your mind of what that person should be how they should look, how they should act, how they should sound. And listen to this list of people who have played Charlie Lucky Luciano, okay? Vic Tabak, Stanley Tucci, okay? Tucci actually played him in Billy Bathgate that was released in 1991 as well. Andy Garcia, Anthony LaPaglia, Terry Savalas. You get an image in your wow. head yeah. of... of very different. Exactly. Of of that image of Lucky Luciano in their head, right? And so would this have been a younger? Yeah, this is this is like this is the this is the beginning of Lucky Luciano and his rise to become well, at least not become the boss of all bosses, because of course, you know, he created that whole thing about, you know, with the other bosses and all and how there's you know, the the commission, if you will, right? Like how there's no boss. They are, they're almost like a corporation at that point. Um, So this is a a very much young, early era, Charlie Lucky Luciano on the rise, not on the downfall of things. I think Christian Slater probably got unfairly maligned in this because he was so, for lack of a better term, tiger beat in this you know what though i am going to respectfully disagree Ooh. Uh, i mean i see what you're saying and i agree with what you're saying however um i fully believe that the intention of this movie was to show their again their their youth their mm. um charisma their um you know you have four arguably handsome gentlemen who Mm. are coming up from nothing. They're literally coming up from street punks, right? Yeah. Um, To, um, you know, you see their rise. They start to dress better. They start to become revered in their neighborhood um, to, you know, when they finally get taken under the wing of, um, help me out here. Rothstein. Yeah. And and you can you can see that progression. And I, I think it was also evident um with Bugsy's character where he had, you know, the the women just 
hanging off of him. And I really think that that youth and that sex appeal, mm-hmm. they, they made gangsters look sexy. Yeah. Which, and I, I will say this, uh, first things first, we'll talk about Patrick Dempsey in a second here. But when you realize, right, that Lansky and and Siegel were like the, it was like like the two groups, right? Right, because, you know, Luciano had Frank Costello, right? Like they were they were best buds kind of thing. And then uh, Luciano, not Luciano, sorry, Lansky and uh, and Siegel, like they kind of grew up together as well. Like they kind of came up together and then like the two groups kind of merged together. But when you realize that it was Lansky who had to make the call to have Siegel killed. And this is their early story, right? It's all, it's, it's, it's eerie because you know what, what happens next. Like after, of course, the events of this movie happen, right? It's, it's a, it's a bit more harsh, right? When you, when you see that play, that interplay between, between Lansky and Siegel. But let's talk about Meyer Lansky, all right? Uh, Patrick Dempsey, a young Patrick Dempsey. Um, here's, here's the weird thing about this. In that, and this is what baffles me about that, uh, uh, the Razzie nomination for, for Christian Slater as worst supporting actor. Because Patrick Dempsey is arguably the number two guy in this film, at least as far as the billing goes. But he wasn't really... There were, there were times where I'm like, oh, yeah, Meyer Lansky's in this too, right? I think he had the best lines, though. Oh, he did. He very much did. But the thing with, with Meyer Lansky um, in real life, and just basically from what I've researched and all that, is that he was a more of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. So it made sense that there were stretches of this film where he felt like the, they're like all of a sudden, like, where did Lansky go? You know, and then like 20 minutes later, I'm back kind of thing. Like, it made sense when you realize that Lansky was more of a behind the scenes guy in real life anyways. He was the business. He was he was definitely the brains behind um, the bronze. And he was also a family man, mm-hmm. right? Like, he wasn't interested in the women. And he just had his one girl. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think definitely very much the the visionary mm-hmm. of the four and and probably i would assume and guess that very much a powerhouse in their rise to power you you had the brains in lansky you had the brawn in siegel and you had the brave in luciano mm-hmm. right and i mean that that's not nothing against frank costello but really, in this movie, it's about those three, you know, and that, and that's a shame because Costas Mand- Mandalore. I, again, I apologize if I mess up your name. So, Costas Mandalore. This is the way. Um, as Frank Costello, it, it, he felt glossed over in this. Like he really did. Like it was hard at times for me. And, and again, this is me not being the the biggest fan of. Well, not the biggest fan of, but not the biggest purveyor of mafia and gangster films. You know, it's, I, I see a bunch of guys in fedoras, right? And that's the problem is that Frank Costello felt like just another guy in a fedora in this. You know what I loved is his line um, when um, 
Meyer, Meyer Lansky is like handing out the whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> and he's using like the glass half full to the, like the glass to the brim. But then um, Costello's line of, I see, I ain't getting no whiskey. <laughs> you know, like he very much, it's almost kind of like he owned that he was number four mm-hmm. in the packing order. And um, I, I kind of think, I think, you know what? He was, he, he had to be there. He was, he was, um, he was like, he was instrumental to the, to the group, but I think you're right that it was very much the three, you know, the brave, the bronze and the brains, um, who were very much leading the charge and, you know, but they, they definitely needed him to round things out. Mm -hmm. Um, but getting back to Patrick Dempsey, though, right? At, at one point, like early on, I'm like, wow, he is really young looking in this. Like I'm I'm used to a bit of an older looking Patrick Dempsey kind of thing. But I think it works in here because it, it, it's not it's not a naivete young kind of thing. This is this is, uh, you know, the the indestructibleness of youth in him in that you know, even in that whole opening scene, right? Meyer wouldn't back down. He wouldn't stay down. He was always ready for more kind of thing. He had to admire that. Basically discount Captain America at that point. Do this all day. (laughs) Very much. I mean, you know what? Um, I did love his tenacity. And, um, yeah, I I mean, obviously, uh, the age of the actors at the time and as you say, the Tiger Beat era, mm-hmm. you know, where um, these four guys are, you know, teen heartthrobs. Let's let's put it that way. I think maybe why I am so passionately, um, and I'm so passionate to defend this movie because I was that teen girl growing up in the '90s, mm-hmm. like loving all four actors. Oh, maybe okay. Arguably, three at of least them. Christian yeah. Slater. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but with that, oh, okay, Richard Greco, you know, not, mm, not so bad. Jump Street, not yeah. so bad. Johnny Depp, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Throw him in the cast. Um, but it really was. If you look at it like, um, it was maybe, um, produced for a younger audience and to kind of share that little piece of history, that mafia era with the younger audience, maybe if critics had looked at it that way, mm-hmm. then they would have been a little more open-minded. This is not like, um, you know, the the next generation of mafia movie. This mm-hmm. is very much for the younger audience. And it was so enjoyable to watch as, you know, in my age range, the Tiger Beat era <laughs> of having, you know, the the, the posters on the wall. Um, yeah. It's, like, it's almost like if you, if you want to take a look at like, say, maybe the, the reverse angle of this, right? If there if there were four historical female mafia, like like 
mafioso bosses kind of thing you know and they had a movie around this time where it's like all right let's get debbie gibson Alyssa milano uh drew barrymore and we'll, we'll we'll go find that redhead who used to be in head of the class kind of thing uh and we'll put him in here like that's almost like the equivalent of that and, and part of it too and again this is in this this, this is almost unfair to the actors themselves in that you've got four guys who are at that peak level of popularity uh, as far as, you know, teen heartthrob type level. And you're playing real mobsters. I wonder if this movie would be less panned if it was a story, you know, inspired by the actions in the mobsters of the day, but a fictional take fictional. So it's not lucky Luciano. It's, you know, some other fictional fictional character. Yes. I see where you're going with that. Like if they had just made it, um, an original story with original original characters, although admittedly inspired by the exploits of the time. Yet, I like that they made it so watchable and so enjoyable and to, you know, their best efforts, historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember being a really young girl dining at Capone's restaurant and you walk through the door and you're transported to the 1920s and the bootleg era and um, the world of gangsters and mafioso and it's just so glamorous as as i'm sure violent and really horrific as it was mm-hmm. um there's a certain amount of mystique I don't, mystique or just appeal to there's a romanticism the, to the era the glamour of it mm-hmm. the and i think this movie really um focuses on that on the sex appeal of the the mafia world, right? Which the is, mob world. Which is interesting because if one of the critiques was about the violence in the film and yet it's a romanticized take of a brutal era, that, that almost seems in contradiction to to itself. But, I mean, it's, it's you know... But it was. I mean, even the the violent scenes were done either in a montage. Mm-hmm. Again, very Dick Tracy like. Like, yeah, and that's why I I had looked up Dick Tracy because watching this, I'm like, this really kind of feels like Dick Tracy in mm-hmm. that they really want to glamorize um, again the, the mob life, which I'm sure was very gritty. You don't choose the mob life. The mob life chooses you. <laughs> I mean, it, I getting back to Casas Mandalore kind of thing. And again, his character is kind of glossed over kind of thing. But like he had a good 1991. This was one of three films that he was in that was released that year. There was this. There was The Doors. And there's one of my favorite comedies from like the early 90s era, Soap Dish. Like he had a good 1991. Uh, I just felt he was like in the doors. He was in the doors. Oh, yeah. We have to go back and take a look at that now, don't I you? I think I will. Now let's get over to Bugsy Siegel here, Richard Greco. You know, 1921 Jump Street. Um, it's 
Ah, <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is Bugsy Siegel was a womanizer in real life, so this is a very accurate portrayal of him. Uh, again, at least from what I've read, kind of thing. I, I didn't know the guy, but how was Richard Greco to you? Like, he seemed to almost fit right into the pocket of this role. Right, knowing that the focus is going to be on the partnership between Luciano and Lansky, and Siegel is not the main point, but he's a, a big enough point, and his character is big enough as far as the grand scheme of things. Um, how was Richard Greco for you? He was so pivotal, especially at the end where he had to kill Chris uh, Chris Penn's mm-hmm. um, character. Tom, was it Tommy? Yeah, Chris Penn doesn't fare well in these kind of... Yeah, um, but you know what? His loyalty to his crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, he grew up with, with Charlie, you know, um, being best buds. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so having that history, having that, um, that, that undying um, loyalty yeah. to his friends first, you know, um, and and it was it was so incredibly. First of all, he played uh, the you know women magnet very well. Mm-hmm. I think out of the four of them, um, he it, I mean he had to play the character of Bugsy. Oh yeah. Um, I couldn't see the casting being any different, and actually, I couldn't see Johnny Depp playing Bugsy's character. Um, I just don't think he has the same sex appeal that Richard Greco. Greco Greco fits in this role. Yeah. Like 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 an absolute glove. You know who actually would have been a really good second choice if they had to recast would be John Stamos. You know what's funny? I can see that. I can see that. And the thing is, I could also see John Stamos as Lucky Luciano. Ooh. Right? Okay. But but and again, this isn't a knock on Christian Slater, but John Stamos in 1991 would have been perfect John in this Stamos, movie. Johnny Depp, Richard Greco, and, well, you know what, though? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think... I don't want to recast Christian Slater. See, and I, and I don't want to recast uh, Meyer Lansky because... Doing yeah, this, no, you can't. No, because doing the same thing that I did with Luciano, here are some of the actors who have played um, Meyer Lansky in other roles. Ben Kingsley and Dustin Hoffman. Like, And when you realize that, you know, you take a look at Patrick Dempsey back then and you think about Dustin Hoffman, like that that's, that's smart casting. Like, if Mobsters is being redone today, that's the kind of role you put Miles Teller in. Like, it's... Pat, Patrick Dempsey was crystal perfect okay. casting for Lansky. And I think Greco was was perfect for Bugsy Siegel. I have, to, I have to interject right there with a question. Yes. I have a question. If this movie were to be produced today mm-hmm. with the same lineup of characters... Yep. Older, mm-hmm. older, or of that age? Like no, no, like, like as of today, mm-hmm. Christian Slater 
graying and everything. Right. <laughs> as much as I love him, <laughs> he is getting older and we're all getting older and a little bit more salt and pepper. So I'm, I'm a bit more salt than pepper these days, but go on. <laughs> the same four actors mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. playing these characters. Do you think that the critics might give this movie a bit more respect? Uh, no. I don't. And I'm I'm suggesting with a recut using the footage of them like I mean if you were to recut the 91 movie where they were teens, young men growing up in the streets of New York to today being the crime boss rising to the the the, the age and the stage where they left off. See, I think you I, again, I think there's there's something to be said about you know, mafia movie fatigue in like in nineteen ninety one, in that there were there was so much, and some of it featuring some of the same characters and same real life people from this film. Um, I think if you take this same script, and you recast it and you reshoot it today, um, it does well, or does it though? Because if you remember, there there was that gangster film that came out. I can't remember off the top of my head. I cannot remember the name of the movie, but it had Emma Stone in it, and it, it was like that kind of era gangster film. And it, if memory serves, it didn't do well at all. So I wonder if that you know younger mobster heartthrob romanticism of the era kind of thing just doesn't fly. Whereas a movie like The Godfather um, or even Bugsy, where it takes the mobsters at at a a bit of an older age kind of thing when they're really in the thick of it and whatnot, like that seems to be the more realistic, less romanticized take on, on gangster era films. But let's step away from the main four here. Uh, And let's get to the Dons and the bosses kind of thing. But I want to start with Rothstein. As played by the voice of Khonshu himself, he will never be anything else but to me now. He is the voice of Khonshu. F. Murray Abraham. Look, he's a phenomenal actor. He is great. And when he was on screen with these guys, he made everyone else great too. Like that whole thing where Rothstein is quizzing Luciano, right? On what would you do kind of thing. I mean... First of all, I had to stop myself from hearing Dennis Hopper's voice in my head going, pop quiz, hot shot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there was just something so genuine about this, you know, for lack of a better term, personality test that Rothstein was throwing at Luciano. And it was such a brilliant tete-a-tete kind of scene. I cried when he died. I absolutely loved I loved that he took these young punks under his wing and he, he was so instrumental in their rise to power and fame. Mm-hmm. And and when you start reading about Rothstein, like the real Rothstein kind of thing, and you realize that he he almost acted sometimes as like a mob mediator kind of thing. And you, you could almost see um, just in reading about him why he was the perfect mentor for these guys. And as played by F. Murray Abraham, right? I mean, that's just... Brilliant. Right? It was brilliant. Because he he brought a gravitas to that role without it being over the top, without it being like, you know, 
without it being you know uh, a caricature of mafioso of the time right he was a businessman he had a product he needed to sell and he didn't want to go through you know the dons at the top at the time because he knew what was going to happen you know he would just you know he'd be in business for a bit and then he'd be dead mm-hmm. right and then that business that he cultivated would be theirs here was a chance to basically build a build a crew build a team teach them the business side of it and you know you had that mentor mentee relationship and yeah like it was it was blunt and brutal the way he he died he was smart yeah he was very such smart. a smart man mm-hmm. and he was always that voice of reason to luciano as well right like he knew that it was a cutthroat business he knew the bad things needed to be done but he also knew that there was you know how lightly sometimes you had to tread in order to be able to get what you needed to get right and he he was always very cognizant of like you know if you do this right you gotta do it right or you're gonna be dead he also saw the i don't know braveness or the um strength in luciano Mm -hmm. he knew that luciano could be a leader would be you yeah. know, there was no question. That was also, and, and, and I just want to get back to Patrick Dempsey for a second. That scene where they hire the kid to come into the room and just say that someone's got a job for you, right? And don't say anything else and let the kid try to figure out who the boss is just based on based on gut instinct of who's the one in charge. You know, who's the one who's the, one who's the leader here? That's a brilliant social experiment to begin with right who's the one in charge like if you walk into a room knowing that one of these two has a job for you what's the thought process that goes through one's mind in trying to determine who it actually is that is a fascinating social experiment right and but in that scene it played up so well because luciano you know luciano seemed almost at first like a, a reluctant leader you know, and it was great because the most reluctant of leaders are usually the best ones. I looked at him differently. I looked at him as the strong, silent type. Lansky or Luciano? Luciano. Really? Luciano. I saw him as he had that, maybe didn't have a vision, but he had the confidence to make it happen yeah he didn't quite know what was gonna happen but he had the confidence to make something exactly luciano had the goal lansky had the plan Mm -hmm. right and rothstein had the lessons to teach them in order for them to be able to accomplish everything um but i i just wanted to add to that that I, i really think um that you were right in saying that very much. No, no, um, you can just stop it. I was right. <laughs> Charlie's motivation really was to um, de- not defend his father, but mm-hmm. um, there's a word that I can't avenge. think. Avenge. He mm-hmm. wanted to avenge his father. The nut crunch um, of destiny. <laughs> that was really his motivator. I think aside from that, um, his rise to fame and power was very much 
because of Lansky. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Like that kind of humiliation of his family, right? And not, and you know, I'll joke in his side about the nut crunch of destiny here, right? But you know, but there was also the the um, fondling the, and forceful kissing of his mother, kind of thing. And, right? He wanted to, um, you know, venge his his mother as well, mm-hmm. and and also his sister who was who was ill, who and was ill at the time, yeah, wanting to take the family's money, yeah, you know, at a time when his sister needed medical care that, or that that's a grudge that was held but he, but yeah. held in check and I, I like the fact that you know they weren't the, the, this whole i will avenge my father thing i will avenge my family that wasn't mentioned again until that scene where they got rid of 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 Ferenzano, right they weren't didactic about it they weren't hammering this home like this was the sole, you know, raison d'etre of Lucky Luciano. It was very much like he he cautiously, silently bided his time, right? He had reason to kill both Dons, but it wasn't like, you know, every 10 minutes like, yeah, I'm going to get this guy because he, what he did to my family. Like that would have been melodramatic and over the top. Again, the strong, silent type. Absolutely, but also a level of restraint in the script and the direction of this that that didn't make it a one-note revenge story and made it more a, you know, a, a, a glossing of the early years of these four, you know, New York mobster-era bosses. Like... Like just, just really, really smart scripting, and how it didn't have to say that, right? Like, I tend to wonder. In reality, and I probably should have researched this, but in reality, these four legitimately grew up as childhood friends. Oh yeah, like this, this actually, that part of the script was actually based on reality. As as you read up more and more about this, right, like. Yeah, Rothstein was shot in the back of the head at a poker game for for lack of paying debts. Um, it was Luciano who who had ordered Ferenzano killed, right? Like, there's a lot that now he himself, Luciano, didn't kill uh, Mad Dog, um, but when they say this is loosely based on real stories, um, the the basis for the beats in this film is there and the more you watch and the more you read the more you appreciate this film and what it actually is don't look at this as the hottest you know and you could say that as far as popularity or attractiveness the hottest actors at the time in four iconic gangster roles and we're going to make a, a you know salad out of it it's a smart film with a lot of reality basing the motivation of everything but let's get to the Dons here. Let's start with Anthony Quinn. Don Maseria. I hate to say it, but I actually agree with the Razzies for nominating him for Worst Supporting Actor. And I'm going to go to one of our favorite films, Repo the Genetic Opera. The worst part of Repo the Genetic Opera is Paul Sorvino. 
Because it's just so over the top. It's just so out there. To the same token as well, I think the worst part of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, surprisingly, is also Paul Sorvino. Because it's it's almost like a caricature of what a boss is. Anthony Quinn, it, it's cartoonish. I found it very cartoonish. And I don't know what your thoughts were on this, but to me, it was just a, a touch. It was over the top. And I, I tend to wonder if that was in the direction or like if it was intentional. Now, here's the, here's the, the interesting thing, though. I'm going to put an asterisk on my on my on my ideas or my thoughts on his portrayal of Don Ferenzano because sorry uh, as a, a Don Mazzaria because as I was reading this and doing my research Anthony Quinn the actor would was apparently friends with the real Frank Costello so it is quite possible that Anthony Quinn actually had some insight into what Don Masseria was like as a real person. And if Masseria was like that in real life, then I take back what I said, and Anthony Quinn is a brilliant portrayal of this. Because he had that inside knowledge, because he knew Frank Costello. But for someone who, on the outside, not knowing that, it may seem like a cheap characterization, a cartoonish representation of what a mafia boss is, but he might know something we don't or might have known something. That's fascinating to find out. Right? Huh. On the, on the flip side, though, Michael Gambone as Don Ferenzano. Oh, was, so good. He was cruel. He was cunning. He was ruthless. He was perfect in this. He the, really was. Right? And this was the interesting thing, is that Ferenzano and Mazzaria are portrayed as two very, very different Dons, one of whom seemed menacing. And that was, of course, Ferenzano, right? Mazzaria, to me, never felt like a threat. He never felt like, you know... Like, this was the guy who was going to be the one to actually cut your balls off. Right? Ferenzano was the one who was just going to rip him off with his own hand. But Mazaria never really seemed menacing. Oh, I don't know. I think I I look at it otherwise. I, I think, you know, he would be the one you would never see coming. It's possible. Know? And that makes it even more frightening. Well, the thing is, you know, when you do, when you, again, you, when you're doing research and the, I, I will say as, as I was prepping for this show, um, I found myself fascinated in the articles that I was reading about the real life people that these people were portraying. Ferenzano apparently was, uh, regularly, uh, comparing the mafia landscape of the time and the whole idea of the boss of all bosses kind of thing in a very... Roman Empire type motif, if you will, which actually makes it smart during the whole, um, the building of um, 
like the, the the corporation, if you will, where you know, um, you know, Capone was saying like, you know, no, you know, why don't you take over, right? You, know, you want to be the guy in charge, and you know, and then you know, uh, Luciano says something about like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to be the Caesar, but there was a reason why he was stabbed, you know, at the, the, the you know, in the middle of the street, right? Like. It's clear that Ferenzano's, you know, Roman Empire fixations on the landscape of, of, or the lay of the land, if you will, probably rubbed off a little bit on all the other bosses at the time kind of thing in in a very cutthroat kind of way. Um, You have to think that men in those positions probably do take a look at everything in those kind of Julius Caesar-esque, you know, ways, if you will. It is a little fascinating when you when you take a look at that. Uh, a couple other things here: Nicholas Sadler as Mad Dog, the killer for hire. You seem to really like him in this. Oh my god! Yeah, he was so so good, um, and just absolutely like he was like a cockroach. Like he, I, I want to say he was unkillable, but I mean, obviously came to his demise <laughs> quite brutally but uh but i i think i think that that motivation though for lucky luciano to want to pump him full of lead was just at that point as soon as um lucky or charlie lost his his girl mm-hmm. like that that was that turning point that was that motivator where he was all out of the f- to give right you know um so, yeah, I mean, he definitely, like, even every scene he was in, I was like, which side are you on? You're literally, like, creating a third. You're towing the line down the center. Which side is he on? He's on his own. That's he's all on that matters. his own yeah. side. Like, even even that scene where he's, like, trying to raise the, the price on their heads, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you could just tell that level of just slick confidence and greed and and yeah well, he I mean, was out for himself everyone had a level of indestructibility of immortality but i don't think you get to be in those positions of power in in a very you know brutal landscape without that kind of attitude and that played out well. You mentioned the point where Mad Dog killed Luciano's girl. Uh, as played like by Lara Flynn Boyle. She was very, very good in this. In a very small, limited role. And and this is actually as you know, Lara, Flynn's Boyle is, uh, Lara Flynn Boyle's star is on the rise. Like This, is, this was a year before Wayne's World came out. Before like movies like The Temp came out kind of thing. Like... She was, a, you know, a star on the rise, and I think this was a good role for her, like as, as, as especially a good vehicle for her to be in. Oh, absolutely, and and I wish this movie did fare better because um, I think that she was tough, she was sexy, she played it well, um, and and again, given very limited screen time. Um, she just, she shone like, and, and you know what? I want to give props as well to like the entire, 
cast of, of dancers and just the amount of um, like confidence that all of those girls brought to the stage and the choreography and the costumes. Um, it was very much like you would expect to see in uh, a speakeasy or a restaurant of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so beautiful. It was like um, everything from uh, there was the the soul singer as well, who was just, you know, you see like the four mobsters walking by. And at one point, uh, I think it was Costello that was making conversation yeah. with her. She didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. She just kept singing because you could tell like that was her job. She was professional. She was, you know, um, doesn't like matter what's someone, going on in the bar, the band still plays. Exactly. <laughs> like you just know that, you know, someone could be absolutely, someone could get popped at any minute in that environment and she would not stop singing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it was just so good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We talked about like if this movie was made today kind of thing. Like that's the kind of role that I think an Emma Stone probably would have fit in if, if this movie was done today. And it's kind of funny because I as, as we were talking, I was just taking a look at that up. That movie that we were talking about earlier with Emma Stone is called Gangster Squad. It was released in 2013. Has a tomatometer of 31% with an audience score of 57%. So the audience score for that one is actually right on par um, with with this, but the, the critic score is very, very different. So maybe somewhere down the road, we might find ourselves tackling Gangster Squad, and we may, you know, find ourselves having kind of some of these same conversations about Emma Stone versus Lara Flynn Boyle kind of thing. But it it, it is true, like, her role almost needed to be the size that it was, but there was that whole scene in the the, the, the gambling room kind of thing just before they, um, you know, before they make love for the first time kind of thing. You know, that whole, like, are you going to be my friend? Because I need you to be my friend. I'm like, this is so playfully fun and sexy at the same time. Like, it was, it was, she was the perfect match for Luciano in this. And I think too, that scene was pivotal because I'm sure that in her role as she must've been like the lead dancer or, Mm -hmm. you know, like she was the one that, um, the mob boss there, I'm not sure of his name, but quite a distinct character. Yeah. You know, he was like fondling her. Like she was just, nothing she was part of the furniture right and i'm like yeah. you know what like she's clearly used to being treated like that yeah so you know when lucky you know started a conversation with her you can kind of tell that she was maybe a little standoffish and maybe just kind of like i think i think it was getting a, you know a feel for luciano in that in that whole coat room scene kind of thing where it's like okay yeah you can come pick me up kind of thing but i'm you know if i just say you know you want to be my friend kind of thing um you know like that that's his reaction clearly told her everything that she needed to know because it wasn't like you know i'll get you know we're gonna go home now no no he's not there for that um it it was was just it was very well done for larry flynn boyle um i do have a bone to pick with this movie though I do. You and every other critic, apparently. <laughs> well, my mine is very, very specific, and it has nothing to do with the acting or the story or the direction. 
The, the name is Michael Small. He is the composer for this film. Because there were times when the music just seemed a bit... Eh, for lack of, for lack of a better term, Dick Tracy-esque, right? And you, you mentioned like the whole montages of violence kind of thing and the way that was done. Visually, it looked, there, there were, there were similarities to the way Dick Tracy was done the year before. But I found the music a little TV movie of the week-esque kind of thing in this. Like it was, it, it needed to be pulled back at times. I think I think at times it was perfect. I think the tonality, like the, the 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 actual song compositions, were good, but there were times when it felt like, you know, a scene was going to commercial and you had like this big big sting kind of thing as it's fading to black. I was like, okay, now we're going to commercial. It's it's almost like they filmed it knowing that it would find a second life on television, and that's the thing about nineteen ninety one too. Even though films may or may not have done well at the box office, this is where life on DVD and life on VHS in the days of seven movies in seven days kind of thing um, would give these movies that extra life. And there's some movies that, you know, like The Breakfast Club, right? Like, it's a good movie, but it's a staple of, like, weekend programming on channels like tbs this movie i think could find that that niche pocket as far as you know weekend you know weekend late night kind of uh you know tv movies kind of thing like a a and e weekender maybe not an a and e weekender but some of those the smaller channels kind of thing or you know life on tubi if you will kind of thing but you know because it is it's a good movie you know, if if someone said to you, hey, do you want to watch a 6% movie? What's your first, without knowing what movie it is. You know, if I told you our next movie that we're doing next week is 6%, how much would you question our life choices? Uh, isn't that why we're here? <laughs> no, but, but seriously, like. I'm learning from this show that critics are dumb. <laughs> that they're just like some idiot in the basement with a pen and paper or keyboard. Wait, I feel called out now. And <laughs> and because I'm an idiot saying, in the basement with the microphone. They're just saying mean things. Yeah. Like for no reason. Like really, guys, take this movie with maybe a fresh set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Maybe just step out of your expectations of um well the godfather is the pinnacle and everything else is and like see it from maybe the eyes of maybe it's intended uh viewership you know a younger audience maybe you know who Mm. are now learning a little piece of history along with you know learning about how life really was in the 20s. And these are actual, it's loosely based, but these are actual historical people. Yeah. Like, like this is not just a movie with a script of some brilliant writer who, you know, came up with these four characters. These are actual real 
like mobsters, mm-hmm. right? And and their storyline. Um, I, I mean, we're loosely based on. If we're if we're being honest and fair with this movie, it covers a large amount of time and a large amount of you know larger and smaller stories in a, uh, a cinema friendly hour and a half that there were some points that probably felt a little bit glossed over. You know, like you mentioned, right? Like, uh, you know, Slater kills the guy that 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 ended up killing his friend but and therefore saving Meyer Lansky. And then next thing you know, okay, well, now we have nice suits and it's five years later, you know, like there, there's a, that, that whole section is glossed over. There are parts that do, that it's, it's a, that's, that's a big stretch of time. But it's that a, they're covering. It's a life and a career span. It it is like they had to. Yeah, that's hard to do in an hour and a half. But I like the point that you made about comparing it to The Godfather. And then when you take a look at because this is a genre, gangster film is a genre. And if you compare every gangster film to The Godfather or The Godfather Part Two, then every other gangster film is going to suck. If you compare every science fiction space opera film to Star Wars A New Hope, then every other science fiction space opera film is going to suck. If you compare every single animated movie that comes out between now and Time Immemorium to Toy Story, then they're all going to suck. Judge it on its own merits and instead of uh, instead of comparison critiquing. And you'll find that Mobsters is actually quite a good film. More akin to, I think the audience score at 58% is a, is a lot closer to what this film is. Because, again, you could make some critiques. But I would be curious if someone actually took this film, analyzed it, and, and did a breakdown of how close it came to reality... I bet you anything people will like this film much, much more. But that being said, we have one mission left. So, Carrie? I'm ready. Who is your MVP of 1991's Mobsters? Because there is no chance in hell that I could pick one of the four mobsters. Okay. I am going to go with a character that we didn't mention and that is Rocco, the assistant, the number two um, oh, to, to the mob boss. To Fer- Ferenzano's number two guy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, by- sorry, not Ferenzano, uh, Miseria. Mis- yes, yes. Thought Miseria is number two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, played by Robert Zadar. I thought he he had that look he had the jaw. He was just, he was a force to be reckoned with. He was menacing. And I could very much picture that he was like, he, well, he was picture perfect to be the enforcer, to be the, you know, he, he was the one that showed up first in the Luciano family home. Um, yeah. Oh, he he was perfect. And you know what? It's mainly because we have mentioned and spoken at length about all of the other incredible talent. Um, 
We also mentioned Chris Penn, who, you know, I wanted to give a a nod to because I thought he was absolutely perfect. His character, the double crossing, um, I really enjoyed uh, his portrayal of Tommy Reina, but um, I got to go with Rocco. I love that you mentioned Robert Zadar because in a an upcoming episode of this show, we are going to be talking about Samurai Cop with our good friend Sean Faust. Um, so, you know, spoiler, guess what guess one of our upcoming movies is going to be? We're gonna be watching Samurai Cop and he's in it as Yamashita. So um, we will be talking about Robert Zadar uh, once again on this show. One of these days I need to sit down and make um, like statistics of number of times actors have been mentioned on this show. Like as far as their movies go, like we already know that Adam Sandler has been the subject of three of our episodes and we're less than 40 episodes into the podcast. So thank you, Adam Sandler, for a glut of content that we could pull from uh but of course now robert zadar is going to have two mentions in in on the series here but my mvp who is it for mobsters f murray abraham look if your presence on screen lifts up the presence of everyone else you are a phenomenal actor and I think what F. Murray Abraham did for the role of Rothstein is he took this character that could have been a minor character in the grand scheme of things, but he turned it into so much more. And he made, like you said, like the fact that you were sad when Rothstein got killed, that shows you the level of impact that he had on this mentor role in you know, at first glance, is just heartthrobs in, in nice suits and machine guns. But F. Murray Abraham killed it. Absolutely killed it as Rothstein. So he is my MVP of this film. Carrie, thank you again for a wonderful show. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, here's the deal. If you think there is a film that is unfairly maligned or that you think is so bad you know, that you, we, we can't even think of anything good to say about it, well, we like a challenge. So hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. Let us know the movie. We will watch it. We will dissect it. And we will come up with the good things about those bad movies. Because we're looking for those A grades. A grades in those B movies. Oh, I tell you, you can't even talk anymore. Uh, I'm Jay. She's Carrie. This is It's Not That Bad. Until next time, everyone, take care. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie 
Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.